Okay, on three, we'll do five. Okay. <laughs> Hi, my name is Glenn from Infants on Thrones, and you'll never believe what happened to me. One night, as I was kneeling down to pray, I bumped my knee on a really hard rock. And when I looked down to get rid of that damn thing, <laughs> that damn thing was glowing. So I put it down in my crotch and stuffed my face down real close. And holy cow, you guys, you'll never guess all the groovy things I can see now. I don't care what you say anymore. This is my life. This is Infants on Thrones. Baby steps. Who wants someone to preach to? The philosophies of men. I like magical toys. Who wants religion to? Mingled with humor. I don't believe in them. There will be many willing to preach to you the philosophies of men mingled with humor. We are evolving. Baby steps. You can buy anything this world of money. the good in everything look for the people who will set your soul free it always seems impossible until it's done look for the good in everyone welcome back to infants on thrones this is episode 778 reflections the new book of Abraham, and I don't know if I don't know if you make yourself laugh the way that I make myself laugh, but I really made myself laugh when I was listening back to these. Uh, so, what I'm sharing with you today is I'm reflecting upon the going on ten years of Infants on Thrones are these silly little parody scriptures that I went verse by verse in the book of Abraham of the Pearl of Great Price and just really had a lot of fun. It's just, I mean, the the book of Abraham was probably the one thing for me that just became undeniable that the story that I was being told about the Mormon church being true was not exactly the whole truth. <laughs> it's only part of the truth, a very small sliver part of the truth that exists subjectively within people's minds rather than evidence that I can prove outside. I, you know, just having the the translations in the facsimiles that are annotated that says this one means this and this one means this, that today Egyptologists can read and go, oh yeah, that's not what it means at all. I, to me, that was the nail in the coffin for me. And so... Doing this was a way of me really processing and separating myself from the Book of Abraham. And I just had fun with it, and I hope that you enjoy it. It's just silly. It's just silly, but so much fun. So, without any further ado... The New Book of Abraham, Infant Styles. First translated from the papyrus by Joseph Smith, if you can really call it a translation, and then retranslated by Glenn from Infants on Thrones through the Peeping Stone Erastus, which is what I call my Peeping Stone. Seriously, 
Don't ask. Introduction. A translation of some ancient records that have fallen into our hands from the catacombs of Egypt. The real writings of real Abraham while he was really in Egypt. Really written by his own real hand upon real papyrus. I totally promise you guys. So don't tell me that Joseph Smith didn't teach that these Egyptian scrolls were actually written by the actual Abraham. You know, the scrolls that just happened to find their way to Kirtland, Ohio in 1835 and sold to Joseph Smith by Michael Chandler, along with four mummies he was trying to unload that had been excavated from Thebes nearly 30 years earlier. Yeah. That was Abraham, all right. Even if modern Egyptologists claim that the papyri were common funerary texts from a guy named Horus, what do they know? They don't have peeping stones. But then again, neither do most of you. So just listen to what Abraham really actually wrote, okay? And judge for yourself, because here it is. Chapter heading. Abraham wants it all, and he wants it right now because he's so awesome. He's persecuted for being so awesome. God saves him because he's so awesome. The origins and government of Egypt are reviewed, naturally, as you would expect in a story about Abraham. Chapter 1. Verse 1. Hey, everybody. This is Abraham, for real. And I grew up in the Chaldeans, which was a pre-Babylonian empire from about 900 to 400 BC. Pretty impressive, huh? Seeing as how the Bible places me, Abraham, somewhere around 2000 BC. But let's forget all about that for a minute, because the story starts when I was in Chaldea at my dad's house. And I, Abraham, saw it was time to, you know, get out of Dodge. Verse 2. Why? Well, because I was really pretty righteous and awesome and big and important. And because I wanted to be even more bigger and more important with pretty much all the knowledge in the universe. Not like a dweeby, insufferable know-it-all, but more like a cool, hey, I'll use Abraham as my lifeline. No one beats me at Jeopardy kind of know-it-all. And also, this is sort of embarrassing, but I sort of wanted to be a father of many nations because, you know, isn't that what every kid wants? And I also wanted to be a prince of peace. So, because I wanted all these things, I asked if I could just get ordained to the high priesthood because that's pretty much what priesthood does for you. Sorry, ladies. Verse 3. But this whole priesthood thing was passed down from the fathers. It came down from the fathers from the beginning of time. I mean, even from the beginning, from the foundations of the earth down to the present time. Even the right of the firstborn or the first man who was Adam or the first father through all of the fathers unto me from the beginning. You know, like I said before, and from the fathers. So let's not forget that. Do I need to say it again? Verse 4. So, like I was saying, I went and asked for my appointment under the priesthood according to the appointment of God unto the fathers concerning, you know, the seed. Verse 5. But look, everyone. My jerk-faced fathers had turned from righteousness a long time ago. I should have known that before I asked, right? But they turned from the holy commandments which the Lord their God had given unto them, and now they worship the freaking gods of the heathen. So they utterly refused to hearken to my voice. Maybe I should have seen it coming. Verse 6. Because you know, their hearts were set to do evil, and were wholly turned to the false god of Elkanah, and the false god of Libna, and the false god of... Mamakra and the false god of Korish. And if you don't believe me that those are really false gods, look it up. Those names don't exist anywhere in history. Just here in this cute little story written by me, the real Abraham. But those false gods, they aren't real because, you know, they never were. That's 
part of what makes them so false. But if you look at the picture illustrating this story that I'm going to put in this book here, you'll see the God-worshipping jars under the altar that I'm about to be sacrificed on. But, dang it, I'm giving it all away. Verse 7. Because look... My jerk-faced fathers had turned their hearts to bloody human sacrifice. No, wait, wait. Bloody virgin sacrifice. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's it. And they liked it because, you know, what jerk-faced, unrighteous followers of false gods wouldn't? So they hearkened not unto my voice, but endeavored to take away my life by the hand of the priest of Elkanah. And dude, look, it gets even deeper because the Chaldean priest of Elkanah was also the Egyptian priest of Pharaoh. I don't know how, he just was honest. Verse 8. Now, they really liked human sacrifice. Because I'm telling you, man, they were pretty freaking wicked. Verse 9. And it came to pass that the priest made an offering unto the god of Pharaoh, and also unto the god of Shagreel, even after the manner of the Egyptians. Now, the god of Shagreel was the sun. Not Ra, like you've probably heard other places. Shagreel. Trust me on that. Verse 10, even the thank offering of a child did the priest of Pharaoh offer upon the altar, which stood by the hill called Potiphar's Hill at the head of the plain of Olishem, just down the street from Saruman's bakery at the corner of Highlander Street and Vine. Verse 11, now this priest had offered upon his altar three virgins at one time, three who were the daughters of Oneida, one of the royal descent directly from the loins of Ham. Yeah, I said loins. (laughs) And these virgins were offered up because of their virtue, because they would not bow down to suck on, to worship the gods of wood or of stone. Therefore, they were killed upon this altar. And it was done after the manner of the Egyptians, like I said before, because, you know, the Egyptians were all about human sacrifice. I mean, by your day, you'll see all that strewn all about the archaeological records. Ask anyone. Verse 12. And it came to pass that the priests laid violence upon me and that they might also slay me as they did those uh, other virgins upon this altar. I told you I was totally righteous, right? And that you may also have a knowledge of this altar, I will refer you to the representation at the commencement of this record. Because, man, I freaking love me some picture books. All us papyri writing 2000 BC prophet guys do. It's an Egyptian thing, y'all. And it's not as easy as it looks. I can't wait till someone reforms this Egyptian thing. Verse 13. Anyway, this terrible altar was made in the form of a bedstead, such as was had among the Chaldeans. And it stood before those false gods of Elkanah, Libna, and Machmachma, and Koresh, and, and also a god like unto that of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. No, those aren't canopic jars. Well, at least not in my day. Who knows what your so-called experts call them now? Verse 14. And so that you can have more of a false understanding of these false gods, I've gone ahead and drawn up the fashion of them in the figures that you're going to see at the beginning, which manner of figures is called by the Chaldeans Ralinos, which signifies hieroglyphics, and are usually drawn in the morning around breakfast time. And interesting side note, Chaldeans who draw Ralinos are called Karolinos or sometimes Kyrios for short. And that's where the name of that Cheerios breakfast cereal came from. 
verse 15. And as they lifted up their hand upon me, that they might take away my life, behold, I lifted up my voice unto the Lord my God, and the Lord hearkened and heard me, because I was way more awesome and big and important than those three virgins I told you about before, who also lifted up their voices, but come on, God can't save everyone, right? And he filled me with the vision of the Almighty, and the angel of his presence stood by me and immediately unloosed my bands like Houdini, and I was free. Verse 16. And his voice was unto me, Abraham, Abraham, behold, my name is Jehovah. Nice to meet you. And I've heard thee, and I've come down to deliver thee, and to take thee away from thy father's house and from all thy kinsfolk into a strange land, which thou knowest not of. Because, look, Abraham, this is what I want everyone around you to know. And you're going to be a prophet, so I want you to tell them all this. Okay? The people I love best, the people that follow me, well, I'll always ask them to move around, you know? Whether it's from some place in the distant future like uh, New York or Pennsylvania to a place like, I don't know, Kirtland, Ohio or something. If you guys flee the place of your fathers and move into a new place to start a new religion, well, that's sort of a pretty decent indication that I'm in your corner. So just let everybody know that, okay, Abraham? Would you do that for me, please? Because I'm sort of busy. Verse 17. Busy at being pissed at all the wicked people who turn away from me and turn their hearts to worship false gods like Elkanah or Libna or Obama. Therefore, I have come down to visit them and to destroy them who have lifted up his hand against thee, Abraham, my son, to take away thy life. Verse 18. Behold, I will lead thee by my hand, and I will take thee to put upon thee my name, even the priesthood of thy father, which my power shall be over thee. Verse 19. As it was with Noah, so shall it be with thee. But through thy ministry, my name shall be known in the earth forever, for I am thy God. Over and out. Verse 20. Behold, Potiphar's hill was in the land of Ur of the Chaldea, like I said before. And the Lord broke down the altar of Elkanah and the gods of the land and utterly destroyed them and smote the priest that he died just like that. And there was a great mourning in Chaldea and also thousands of miles away in the court of Pharaoh, which Pharaoh signifies king by royal blood, which may seem like an abrupt and awkward transition to go from ancient Babylon all the way over to Egypt, but I've got to make a connection between Abraham and Egyptian stuff somehow, and besides, I've got some super interesting and totally profound things that God wants me to tell you all, okay? Verse 21, like that this king of Egypt was a descendant from the loins of Ham and was a partaker of the blood of the Canaanites by birth. You know, black people, a partaker of the blood of black people. Verse 22, from this descent sprang all the Egyptians and thus the black blood of the black Canaanites was preserved in the land. Verse 23, and I swear you guys, this isn't racist or sexist at all, but the original land of Egypt was originally founded by a woman, by a black woman, who was the daughter of Ham and the daughter of Egyptus, which in the Chaldean signifies Egypt, which signifies that which is forbidden. Did you guys know that? That Egypt means forbidden? And I'll tell you why, but first let's hear more about this woman who discovered a forbidden land verse 24. When this woman discovered the land, it was underwater, who afterwards settled her sons on it. And thus, from Ham 
sprang that race which preserved the curse in the land. You know, the darkies again. And here's where it gets all forbidden and stuff. Verse 25. Because the first government of Egypt was established by Pharaoh, the eldest son of Egyptus, the daughter of Ham. And look, I'll be honest with you. I don't know if this means that Ham fathered children with his own daughter named Egyptus. I honestly wouldn't put it past him. Or if Ham had a wife and a daughter, both named Egyptus, or what. Maybe it was just a really popular name that year. But either way, they were no good. I'm telling you that because they set up this government after the manner of Ham, which copied the patriarchal order of things when it wasn't supposed to copy the patriarchal order of things, right? Verse 26. Because Pharaoh... Now, he was sort of an okay guy in the beginning, and he established his kingdom and judged his people wisely and justly all his days, seeking earnestly to imitate that order established by the fathers in the first generations, in the days of the first patriarchal reign, even the reign of Adam, and also of Noah, his father, who blessed him with the blessings of the earth and with the blessings of wisdom, but cursed him as pertaining to the priesthood. Verse 27. Now, Pharaoh, being of that lineage by which he could not have the right of the priesthood, you know, at least not until some future 1978 date when it will be okay for them to have it, but notwithstanding the pharaohs would fain claim it from Noah through Ham, wherefore my very own father, thousands of miles away in Chaldea, was led away by their idolatry which may not seem to make a lot of sense to you, but trust me, it does. And if you say it doesn't, then you're the worst kind of person there could possibly be. Verse 28. Now you know me, the big and important, awesome Abraham. So, nice to meet you. And now what I want to do is pretty much tell you everything that happened from the beginning of time until right now, in my real day, as I really sit with my real hand and really write this on real papyri, Because I have the records that other big and important people wrote before me. Because it's all about records and continuing the story, right? So that's what I'm going to do. Verse 29. Now, after the priest of Elkanah was smitten that he died, there came a fulfillment of those things which were said unto me concerning the land of Chaldea, that there should be a famine in the land. And I mean, I know I didn't tell you before that this had been a prophecy and it was fulfilled, but it was, and trust me, it really was fulfilled. Verse 30. So, because of this famine, my father was sorely tormented, and guess what? He repented of the evil which he had determined against me to take away my life. Isn't that cool? Verse 31. But the records of the fathers, even the patriarchs, concerning the right of the priesthood, well, the Lord my God preserved that in my own hands, not my dad's. Because even though he repented, he still wasn't anywhere near as big or important as I was. So that's how a knowledge of the beginning of the creation came to me. But not only that, I'm also going to tell you about the planets and the stars. And that's some really cool stuff that you're not going to want to miss. So stay tuned because this stuff is about to get really real for real. You'll know it's all true, you'll just feel it. You'll be a Mormon, by gosh, a Mormon. 
Hi, this is Sarah from Colorado Springs, Colorado, and I am an English girl hopelessly lost in a conservative American world. You can comment on this episode on the website infantsonthrones.com, and if you really like what you hear, give the quorum a five-star rating and write a short review on iTunes. I did. Anyone for the closing prayer? I'll bet you really can't wait for chapter two. Well, you're going to have to. Thank you for listening to Infants on Thrones. My name is Glenn from Infants on Thrones, and you'll never believe what happened to me. One night, as I was kneeling down to pray, I bumped my knee on a really hard rock. And when I looked down to get rid of that damn thing, (laughs) that damn thing was glowing. So I put it down in my crotch and stuffed my face down real close, and holy cow, you guys, you'll never guess all the groovy things I can see now. I don't care what you say anymore, this is my life. Infants on Thrones. The New Book of Abraham, Infant Styles, Chapter 2. Hey everybody, remember me? It's the writings of the real Abraham, as revealed to me through my real peepstone, Erastus. And it's finally time to continue our story with Chapter 2. But first... Let's recap chapter one, shall we? Chapter one, the real writings of real Abraham while he was really in Egypt, really written by his own real hand upon real papyrus. He was born and raised in Ur of the Chaldees, thousands of miles and thousands of years away from Pharaoh in Egypt, and yet they still somehow had the same religion and the same priests and the same gods, even the made-up ones. Abraham was good. Everyone else was bad. They tried to sacrifice him, but God stepped in and saved him. And now for the rest of the story. Chapter 2. Gotta be honest, this chapter is sort of boring. It's where the real Abraham, me, leaves Ur to go to the sort of racist black land of the black Canaanites. But Jehovah appears to me at Haran, and all gospel blessings are promised to me and to you guys reading this. You who are me, my, the real Abraham's, real literal blood seed. And through you guys, my real literal blood seed, God's blessings can go forward to everyone. Because trust me, you don't want all those blessings just directly from God. He's super intense, so I'll take the brunt of that for you. So in this sort of boring chapter, I'm going to hit all the major tourist spots through Canaan and other places on the way to Egypt, and I'll snap a few more facsimile photos for you guys, which, I don't know, maybe I'll include for you to look at. And then I'm going to move on to Egypt so that I can write this papyri and have it be discovered by Tomb Raiders sometime in the distant future and delivered across two continents and an ocean that I'm pretty sure is out there to this awesome dude, Joseph Smith, in Kirtland, Ohio, USA, a.k.a. Promised Land, the sequel, part one. And this Joseph guy is probably the only person ever born throughout time on this earth who's more bigger and more better than me and better at just about almost everything 
So this record will be given to him by a traveling salesman so that he can translate it into English so that you guys, my literal seed, can all feel pretty big and important too. And if you think this brief summary is long and boring, just wait for the next 25 verses, which really don't add much to my story, but filler. And, oh yeah, I really want to drill in how important God says that we all are. That's going to be pretty huge as we go forward. So, here we go. Verse 1. Now the Lord my God, not to be confused with the Lord Vader or the Lord Voldemort or little Lord Fauntleroy or any other Lord for that matter, the God one. Well, he caused in his great meek and loving fury a terribly benevolent famine to wax sore in the land of Ur. And if you thought Brazilian wax was painful, man, sore famine waxing is even worse. And my brother died. Did I tell you that I had a brother? His name was Heron which sort of explains why the land of Haran is called Haran today, which maybe you didn't know already from that other history written about me in that other book of so-called biblical scripture called the Bible, which I have on pretty good authority, you guys will probably already have in your day, but will only be as true as it's translated correctly and can never even be as remotely close to true as this account that I'm writing right now with my own hand is. But yeah, my brother died. Verse 2, And it came to pass that I, the real Abraham, took the real Sarai to wife. And by took, I mean we had sex. A lot of sex. Really fantastic desert sex. And I don't mean to brag or anything, but, well, I'm going to let you lady readers out there in on a little secret. Prophets of God make the best lovers. So, you know, ladies, if the opportunity ever arises, I'm just saying... And oh yeah, Nahor, my other brother, who hadn't died yet, took Milcah to wife, who was the daughter of Haran, which means he married his niece, which may sound a little weird to you guys, but look, she was almost 15, so it's all good. Keep that in mind too. Verse 3, Now the Lord had said unto me, Abraham, get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. Seriously, he actually said that, for real. That's just how he talks. Weird, right? Verse 4. Therefore I left the land of Ur, of the white and delightsome Chaldees, to go into the land of black and not-so-delightsome Canaan. And I took Lot, my brother's son, and his wife, and Sarai, my wife. And also my father followed after me unto the land which I already told you that we called Haran. And look, I know this isn't all that exciting, but sometimes you just gotta do what God says you gotta do just because he tells you to. Even the boring stuff, like home teaching and collecting fast offerings, just do it. Verse 5. And the famine abated, which pretty much means that it sort of ended. And my father tarried in Haran, because... Tearing is sort of what my father liked to do. And he dwelt there, because there were many flocks in Haran. And, I probably shouldn't tell you this, but my wicked dad had a thing for sheep. Which is what happens when you're wicked, and it all starts by redefining marriage. Verse 6. But I, Abraham, and Lot, my brother's son, like I told you before, prayed unto the Lord by kneeling down and closing our eyes and opening the right way and first saying the things that we were thankful for and then asking for all the stuff that we wanted and then closing it in the right way because God won't really listen any other way. 
And the Lord appeared unto me, and he said unto me, Arise, and take Lot with thee. He's thy brother's son, remember? Because look, I have purposed to take thee away out of Haran, and to make of thee a minister, to bear my name in a strange land, which, get this, I will totally just give to you, and to thy seed after thee, for an everlasting possession. I said everlasting, it's yours, man, by divine right, as long as you and your seed always hearken to my voice. And, well, I might as well tell you, I tried getting the people who live there already to hearken to my voice, but they think hearkening is for babies, so I'm not going to choose them. And also, because they're black. Verse 7. For I am the Lord thy God. I dwell in heaven. The earth is my footstool. I stretch my hand out over the sea, and it obeys my voice. I cause the wind and the fire to be my chariot. I say to the mountains, depart hence. And behold, they're taken away by a whirlwind in an instant, suddenly. Really, it's super important to me that you don't confuse me with any of those other lords that aren't quite as powerful as I am. Verse 8. And I may as well tell you, my name is Jehovah. Nice to meet you. And I know the end from the beginning. Therefore, my hand shall be over thee. I don't really know what my omniscience has to do with my hand being over you forever, but it sounds all biblical and stuff, so just go with it. Verse 9. And I'm also super excited to make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee above measure. Strike that, above measure above everyone and everything else, and make thy name great among all nations, and thou shalt be a blessing unto thy seed after thee, and in their hands shall they bear this ministry and priesthood unto all nations, who, don't forget, are way less awesome than you, and way less awesome than your big and important seed, who I better probably reading this right now, and feeling all warm and special because of this affirmation of their incredible specialness. Verse 10. And I will bless them through thy name. For as many as receive this gospel shall be called after thy name, and shall be accounted thy seed, even if they aren't exactly the direct literal blood descendants, like I made a point of highlighting earlier. Even the adopted ones will rise up and bless thee as their father. Verse 11. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse them that curse thee, and give candy to those who give candy to me, and give Indian burns and noogies to those who give Indian burns and noogies to me, and in thee, that is, in thy priesthood, and in thy seed, that is, in thy priesthood, I will give unto thee a promise that this right shall continue in thee, and in thy seed after thee, that is to say, the literal seed, or the seed of the body, even though I just said that it doesn't really matter all that much because of the whole adoption thing, but through you shall all the families of the earth be blessed, even with the blessings of the gospel, which are the blessings of salvation, even of life eternal, which only comes through the priesthood, which only you and your seed will hold, which is pretty much what makes you all so great, or at least the men of your seed, and the women too, I guess, through the men. Did you get all that? Because I am out of here. Verse 12. Now after the Lord had withdrawn from speaking to me and withdrawn his face from my face, yeah, I, I actually saw his face, y'all. Did I tell you that he has a face and beautiful eyes and a beard? 
and pretty decent breath. After he took off, I said in my heart, Thy servant has sought thee earnestly. Now I have found thee. Verse 13. Thou didst send thine angel to deliver me from the God of Elkanah, like I talked about in chapter 1. So since you did that, I guess I'll go ahead and hearken unto thy voice, because I love hearkening. It's my favorite. Therefore, let thy servant, me, the real Abraham, rise up and depart in peace. Verse 14. So I, the real Abraham, rose up and departed in peace, as the Lord said unto me, and Lot with me, the son of my brother, remember. And I, the real Abraham, was really sixty and two years old when I departed out of Haran. Just for those of you keeping track at home. Verse 15. And I took Sarai, whom I took to wife when I was in Ur and Chaldee, and Lot, my brother's son, and all our substance that we had gathered and the souls that we had won in Haran, not their bodies, just their souls. Don't ask how that happened. And came forth in the way to the land of Canaan and dwelt in tents as we came on our way. And no, Randy, I don't mean anything sexual by that just because I said the word tent. Don't even ask me if we had camels. Verse 16. Therefore, eternity was our covering and our rock and our salvation as we journeyed from Haran by the way of Jershon to come to the land of Canaan. Don't ask me what I mean by that. I just think it sounds pretty neat. Verse 17. Now I, the real Abraham, built a real altar in the land of Jershon, and I made a real offering unto the real Lord, and prayed that the famine might be turned away from my father's house, that they might not perish. And since I already told you in verse 5 that the famine had abated, I was pretty confident that this prayer to make the abated famine end would be pretty easy for God to do. Verse 18. And then we passed from Jershon through the land unto the place of Sechem. It was situated in the plains of Morah, and we had already come into the borders of the land of the Canaanites, and I offered sacrifice there in the plains of Morah too, and called on the Lord devoutly, because we'd come into the land of this idolatrous nation through all these other lands. And trust me, there's a good reason why I'm spelling all this out in so much detail. Verse 19. Because this is where the Lord appeared to me again in answer to those other prayers. And he said unto me, Remember when I said I'd give you a land? Well, look around. This is it. Take it. It's yours, baby. Verse 20. And I, Abraham, arose from the place of the altar which I had built unto the Lord and removed from thence unto a mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched my tent there. Randy, stop snickering. With Bethel on the west and high on the east, and there I built another altar unto the Lord and called again upon the name of the Lord. Because, I don't know, I just sort of love building altars and calling to the Lord. Keep in mind, this was before iPhones. Verse 21. And I, the real Abraham, journeyed, going on still towards the south. And there was a continuation of famine in the land, which... I don't really get it, because, you know, it had abated, and I prayed to God to keep it abated, and he told me how much he really liked me, and how the things I did for him, he would do unto me, and I was all like, dude, Lord, what about all these altars and prayers I keep doing for you? I mean, that's sort of the opposite of giving you a famine, right? So what's the deal? But he didn't appear to me this time. So I, the real Abraham, concluded to go down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine became very grievous, which, in hindsight, is probably why God kept the famine in the first place to get me to go to Egypt. Because I probably wouldn't have gone if he had just told me to go. 
even though I've pretty much done everything he's told me to do so far, even without being forced to do it by a famine. But wait a minute. What? Verse 22. And it came to pass that anyway, when I was come near unto Egypt, the Lord said unto me, Behold, Shalai, thy wife, is a stone-cold fox and a very fair woman to look upon. Trust me, I'm omniscient. I've seen them all. Seriously, what a bob. Zowie. Verse 23. Therefore, it shall come to pass when the Egyptians shall see her, they'll be like, oh, dude, look at his hot wife. Let's kill him so she'll be single. Then maybe we got a shot. And then they will. They'll just kill you so she'll be single. So maybe they'll have a shot. Therefore, look, see that you do on this wise. Verse 24. Let her say unto the Egyptians that she is thy sister, and thy soul shall live. Because look, I'm just going to go ahead and wait for a couple thousand years for one of your seed, a super righteous dude named Moses, who we'll talk about later, to give all these commandments about not lying and stuff. But even then, we'll make it sort of a case-by-case commandment for the most righteous and chosen and big of important of my chosen peoples. Because, I don't know, sometimes I might want you guys to lie. Verse 25. And it came to pass that I, Abraham, told Sarai, my wife, all that the Lord had said unto me. Therefore, say unto them, I pray thee, thou art my sister, that it may be well for me for thy sake, and my soul shall live because of thee. And I know that I'm going to leave you all kind of hanging right now, wondering what's going to happen next, but my hands got a little sore from all this writing, so I'm just going to go ahead and end it here, because, I mean, it's sort of obvious that I survived, right? Or else, who would be writing this whole story here? That Joseph Smith guy? <laughs> Come on, I mean, he's, he, he only had like a second grade education, he's totally illiterate, he, could, he, couldn't, he couldn't write anything like this, I mean... Look at, what, look at what this is. So uh, we'll, we'll, we'll come back to the story in chapter 3 another time. Later. Hi, this is Debbie from South Jordan, Utah. I've listened to Infants on Throne since the first episode, mostly to hear Glenn. Yeah. I'm a true fan. Mm-hmm. I enjoy his quick wit, kind yeah. heart, mm-hmm. and brilliant mind. Yeah. And that I haven't had to change his diapers for a very long time. Despite all the shit. My lived experience. Yeah. <laughs> I'm his mom. You can comment on this episode on the website, infantsonthrones.com. And if you really like what you hear, give the quorum a five-star rating and write a short review on iTunes. I did. Did you really? Anyone for the closing prayer? But did you really, though? Not yet, but I will before. Oh, come on. My name is Glenn from Infants on Thrones, and you'll never believe what happened to me. One night, as I was kneeling down to pray, I bumped my knee on a really hard rock. And when I looked down to get rid of that damn thing, (laughs) that damn thing was glowing. So I put it down in my crotch and stuffed my face down real close, and holy cow, you guys, you'll never guess all the groovy things I can see now. I don't care what you say anymore, this is my life. Infants on Thrones. Mini-sode. 
The New Book of Abraham, Infant Styles, Chapter 3. Hey everybody, remember me? It's the writings of the real prophet Abraham as revealed to me through my very own personal peepstone, Erastus. It may be chocolate swirled looking, but it tastes like suppository. Anyway, sorry that it's been so long since releasing chapter one and chapter two, but you know, collab time. Oh, oh wait, you don't know collab time yet, do you? But guess what? You soon will, so without any further ado, you know, there's no other kind of ado, it's always further ado. Wait, could it be something else without any closer idea, like further, farther, closer ado? Anyway, okay, sorry, I guess I put some ado in there. Now let's get to chapter three. Chapter 3. And now for the really good stuff, where I, the real Abraham, learn about the sun, moon, and stars by means of the Urim and Thummim. Because obviously the sun and stars are completely different things, right? You know, okay, anyway, the Lord reveals to me the eternal nature of spirits. I learn of pre-earth life and foreordination, the creation, the choosing of a redeemer, the second state of man, ways to justify racism and any form of xenophobic elitism. So, man, I'm starting to really kind of chub up here. So let's just skip the foreplay already and just dive into this thing. Verse 1. And I, the real Abraham had the Urim and Thummim, which the Lord my God had given unto me in Ur of the Chaldees. And they were glowing rocks that I could peep into, right, with my eyes, and they would show me things. And any similarity that this has to that Yosef Smith guy who's going to be born over 2,000 years from now on a whole nother side of the world, that guy with his peep stones who's going to, you know, discover and translate what I'm writing right now so that the whole wide world can know the truth that the devil just keeps trying to cover up from him? Well, anyway, any similarity between my Urim and Thummim and Joseph's peep stones is either entirely inconsequential or it's an indication that God works through past and present prophets in similar ways. Because, come on. That's like over 2,000 years from right now when I, the real Abraham, am actually sitting down and writing this on this weather-retardant ink and papyri. And uh, no, retardant is not a bad word. Verse Verse 2. And I saw the stars twinkling up there, all pretty and everything. And I saw that they were very great and that one of them was nearest unto the throne of God. And there were many great ones which were near unto it. Like, pretty big, amazing, twinkling, great stars. Verse 3. And the Lord said unto me, These are the governing ones. And the name of the great one is Kolob. Because it's near unto me. And and Kolob in the Adamic tongue actually means close to me, which explains why one of the first games that Adam and Eve played in the Garden of Eden was Marco, Kolob, Marco, Kolob. (laughs) I don't know, maybe you had to be there. It was super fun. But look, I am the Lord thy God, and I have set this one awesome star to govern all those things which belong to the same order as that earth upon which thou standest. That's what God said to me, the real Abraham. Verse 4. And the Lord said directly unto me, indirectly through the Urim and Thummim, that Kolob was after the manner of the Lord, according to its times and seasons in the revolutions thereof. 
And one revolution was a day unto the Lord after his manner of reckoning, it being one thousand years according to the time appointed unto that whereon thou standest, us. This is the reckoning of the Lord's time, according to the reckoning of Kolob. Which, you know, is probably why people think that God doesn't listen to their prayers and stuff, because they're all like, God, can you please help me with this job interview I have tomorrow? I'll even fast to make sure that you want to help me out even more, because I know that me going without food somehow makes it more likely that you're going to actually do something this time. So please, I know that agency is really cool and important and all, but could you please make the people that I'm interviewing with totally think that I'm awesome and that they need to hire me and pay me top dollar? Please, God. Please, will you do this for me? I'll fast. Amen. And then they they go us into their interview and they get us not the job. And then they're all, what's up, Lord? Didn't I do it right? Fine. I'm going to leave the Mormon church and just go out and sin. And then God's all, hang on, dude. It may have been a few days for you, but I go by the reckoning of Kola. But that was only like 0.057 nanoseconds for me, and I was in the middle of taking a leak. Plus, I have like 25 billion other people asking me to find their car keys and other things like that. So can I just get a minute to breathe here? Sheesh, where is your Nalum Begalum? Nalum Begalum. Verse 5. And the Lord said unto me, the real Abraham, the planet which is the lesser light, and by planet I mean the moon that you see in the sky, well, I created that to give lesser light to the earth. Even though it doesn't really technically give light per se, you know, even I, the Lord, sometimes play games with smoke and mirrors, sometimes. But yeah, that planet that's not a planet is to rule the night while the sun is meant to rule the day in the heavenly hierarchical order of things. So think of it this way. The earth right now is under your feet, right, real Abraham, right? And the moon is above your head, right? But the sun is also above your head. And just as the moon rules over the earth by night, the sun rules over the earth by day. And it's a greater ruling because the light is brighter and the sun is bigger and it's farther away. And that's sort of what I'm getting at. There's always a bigger, badder fish out there. And there's always a bigger, badder sun that rules over your sun and a bigger, badder sun that rules over that sun and onward and upward all the way up to Kolob, which is the biggest and baddest of them all. You really have no way of conceiving just how big and bad it really is. But Okay, I'm getting a little ahead of myself. It's exciting stuff. Verse 6. And the Lord said unto me, Now, real Abraham, these two facts exist. And I thought for a moment that God was stifling a smile when he said the word facts. For behold, thine eyes see it. It is given unto thee to know the times of reckoning and the set time, yea, the set time of the earth upon which thou standest, and the set time of the greater light which is set to rule the day, and the set time of the lesser light which is set to rule the night. Verse 7. Now, uh, real Abraham, here, smoke this. It will help everything seem to make a little bit more sense than I'm going to say here, okay? All right, okay. Now... The set time of the lesser light is a longer time as to its reckoning than the reckoning of the time of the earth upon which thou standest. Than the reckoning of the time of the earth upon which thou standest. Verse 8. And where these two facts (laughs) exist, there shall be another fact above them. That is, 
there shall be another planet whose reckoning of time shall be longer still. And thus, there shall be the reckoning of the time of one planet above another, until thou come nigh unto Kolob, which Kolob is after the reckoning of the Lord's time, which Kolob is set nigh unto the throne of God, to govern all those planets which belong to the same order as that upon which thou standest. Whoa. Verse 10. And it is given unto thee to know the set time of all the stars that are set to give light until thou come near unto the throne of God. Because, you see, it's all about time. It's all about how long it takes for a planet to spin on its axis and make a rotation. And, and then also how long it takes it to complete a full orbit around its sun. Because, you know, that's what solar governing universal cosmic governing means it it just makes sense right that answers everything doesn't it isn't it about time isn't it about time from the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints it's about time it's about space about strange people in the strangest place verse 11 thus i the real abraham talked and toked with the Lord face to face as one man talketh and toketh with another. And he told me of the works which his hand had made. And I was like, whoa. Verse 12. And he said unto me, my son, my son. And his hand was stretched out. Behold, I will show you all these. And he put his hand upon mine eyes, which totally makes sense, right? Because if you're going to show something to someone, the first thing you do is cover up their eyes, right? To Maybe make it more of an exciting surprise or something when you lead them to what you're going to show them and then you lift your hand. I don't know. But, okay, so anyway, even though his hand was covering my eyes, I somehow saw those things which his hands had made, which were many, and they multiplied before mine eyes and I could not see the end thereof. It was like a kaleidoscope of horny polygamous fluffy bunnies morphing and growing and expanding in patterns and colors and... Wow, spirituality is deep, man. It is deep. Verse 13. And he pointed to the sun in the sky, and he said unto me, This is Shinehom, which is the sun. Duh. And he said unto me, Kokob, which is a star. Not Kolob, the star, the bestest star, but Kokob, K-O-K-O-B, generic name for a single star. And he didn't show me uh, all the rest. He'd, I didn't see Komob and Konob and Kopob and, and onwards, but I'm pretty sure that they exist somewhere. And then he pointed to the sky again and he said unto me, Olea, which means the moon. Probably because going out into the fields at night under the moonlight is one of the best places to get oleid. And he said unto me, Kokobom, Kokaobom, which I can't even pronounce, and signifies stars, plural stars, or all the great lights which were seen in the firmament of heaven, which is different from Kokob, which is a single star, you see. Kokobom, Kokobim, <clears throat> Cocoa bomb is the plural with all those sparkling 
bombs of light, you see? And and why there isn't a cocoa beam coffee house somewhere in Salt Lake City right now to this day, even the Lord doesn't quite know. Maybe I, the real Abraham, should actually trademark that bad boy right now. Verse 14. And, uh, oh yeah, it was in the nighttime when the Lord spake these words unto me, which explains why I was able to see the lights in the night sky for those discerning listeners of you who are just out to question everything that I say. Good for you, good for you, because I've got the answers. And as I looked out, the Lord said, I will multiply thee, thou most realist of Abrahams, and thy seed after thee, like unto these coca bum and if thou canst count the number of sands so shall be the number of thy seeds and when thou canst snatch this pebble from mine hand it shalt be time for you to leave verse 15 and the lord said unto me hey real abraham I show these things unto thee before thou goest into Egypt, that ye may declare all these words unto the Egyptians. So basically, I'm saying that Egyptian mythology all started when Abraham come to town. You go real, Abraham. Verse 16. 16. So here's some more facts. If two things exist and there be one above the other, there shall be still yet greater things above them. Therefore... Kolob is the greatest of all the cocoa bomb that thou hast seen because it's nearest unto me. And I, of course, am greater than you, but there's a chain. And I, the Lord thy God, is at the top of the chain, and my servants, the prophets, are, you know, right there with me, and then the rest of y'all are way down at the bottom of that chain. So, you know, just remember who you are and where you fit on the hierarchical chain. It's kind of like Kolob. Okay? Verse 17. Now, if there be two things, one above the other, and the moon be above the earth, then it may be that a planet or a star may exist above it. And there is nothing that the Lord thy God shall take in his heart to do, but that he will do it. Because what I just said makes total sense, right? And, okay, here, have another one of these. Hold it. Hold it. Hold it. Okay, let me say it again. Now, if there be two things, one above the other, and the moon be above the earth, then it may be that a planet or a star may exist above it. And there is nothing that the Lord thy God should take in his heart to do, but that he will do it. Well, I totally know Kung Fu. Verse 18. How be it? that he made the greater star, as also if there be two spirits, and one shall be more intelligent than the other, yet these two spirits, notwithstanding one is more intelligent than the other, have no beginning. They existed before. They shall have no end. They shall exist after, for they are nolum. G-N-O-L-A-U-M. Nolum, or eternal. I I forgot to tell you that nolum means eternal, right? Well, it does. And interestingly enough, begalum is God's word for perspective. So, you know, just keep all of this in nolum begalum. <laughs> that is so stupid. <laughs> Verse 19. And the Lord said unto me, 
These two facts, <laughs> facts, oh, the sense of humor of our God, do exist. That if there are two spirits, one being more intelligent than the other, there shall be another more intelligent than they. I am the Lord thy God. I am more intelligent than they all. Take that. Verse 20. The Lord thy God sent his angel to deliver thee, real Abraham, from the real hands of the real priest of Elkanah, that false god who was so false that he never actually existed anywhere at any point in recorded history, just here in this papyri written by the real hand of the real Abraham. Verse 21. I, the Lord thy God, dwell in the midst of all them, all false and fictitious gods. I now, therefore, have come down unto thee to declare unto thee the works which my real hands have really made, wherein my wisdom excelleth them all. For I rule in the heavens above and in the earth beneath, in all wisdom and prudence over all the intelligences thine eyes have seen from the beginning. I came down in the beginning in the midst of all the intelligences thou hast seen. Verse 22. Now the Lord had shown unto me, the real Abraham, the intelligences that were organized before the world was. And among all these, there were many of the noble and great ones, especially those really noble and great ones reserved for the last days to restore God's true truth onto the earth once again. So if you're hearing this and you're a member of the Mormon church, just keep in mind, you're one of those special noble and great ones, okay? Just remember how how special you are, okay? Okay. Verse 23. And God saw all these intelligent soul thingies that they were good. And he stood in the midst of them and he said, These will I make my rulers. For he stood among those that were spirits. And he saw that they were good, like I... Like I said before, you know, but since papyri is so much easier to ride on than carving reformed Egyptian into gold plates, why not be a little redundant in the things that we say every now and then? Say every now and then. Say every now and then. And God said unto me, Abraham, thou art one of them great and noble ones. Thou wast chosen before thou wast born. So rockest thou on with thy bad self. And I did but not to the point of masturbation because Moses was the guy with the burning bush. That doesn't make any sense. Verse 24. And there stood one among them that was like unto God. And he said unto those who were with him, We will go down, for there is space there. And we will take of these materials, which includes all these old dinosaur bones from other planets. And we will make an earth whereon these may dwell and insert all these fake fossils just to mess with them, just to see if they will believe the things that they read in scriptures because, well, just because, because that's the way to be good. Or will they only believe things that can be tested and proven and reject those things that have been tested and disproven? Like the wise man who built his house upon a a rock. Wait a minute. Never mind. Verse 25. But God looked around and said, We will prove them herewith to see if they will do all things whatsoever the Lord their God or his authorized prophets on this earth shall command them. And I mean all things, like the whole deal, not just part of it, all of it. The alpha and omega of things, the, the front and the behind, for reals, all things, dude. All. Verse 26. And those who keep their first estate shall be added upon. And they who keep not their first estate shall have not glory in the same kingdom with those who keep their first estate. It just can't happen. You cannot mix kingdoms. 
And they who keep their second estate shall have glory added upon their heads forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Sort of like a pyramid scheme, except not. Because, you know, God. God. Verse 27, and the Lord said, whom shall I send? And one answered like unto the son of man, here am I, send me. And another answered and said, here am I, send me. And the Lord said, I will send the first. Verse 28, and the second was angry and kept not his first estate. And at that day, many followed after him. And thus ends chapter three. Tune in for chapter 4 that will be published as soon as I get around to it. So set your watch to Co-Lob time. Hi, this is Chad from Orem, Utah, and I have met one of the three Nephites. You can comment on this episode on the website, infantsonthrones.com, and if you really like what you hear, give the Quorum a five-star rating and write a short review on iTunes. I did. Anybody for the closing prayer? Thank you for listening to Intents on Thrones. Reach out and touch faith. And look, if you've made it this far to the end of the episode, why not go and support us on Patreon? You can sign up for as little as $1 per episode, and you can cap that at whatever you want to for the, uh, for the month. So if you don't want to give us more than $4 a month, do $1 an episode for four times a month, and it'll cap it at four, even if we do 200 episodes in the month. So then we can't trick you and get $200 from you. But this is a volunteer effort that we do with the podcast. Um, so... Uh, if you want to help out, it would be really appreciated. I would appreciate it. Thank you very much, and thank you for listening to Infants on Count. Put down the weapons that you use against yourself. You don't need them anymore. Lay down the weapons that you use against the world. We don't need another war. Put down the weapons that you use against yourself. Hi, this is Hillary, Matthew, Ryan, Carol, Dashley, and I like to play bingo online while listening to Infants on Thrones. You can comment on this episode on the website, infantsonthrones.com. And if you really like what you hear, give the quorum a five-star rating and write a short review on iTunes. I did. I did. I did. Anyone for the closing prayer? My worst crime is an inside job. Dark thoughts taking over like an inside mob. I tune into the scene between the eyes. And take a breath. Thank you for listening to Infants on Front. I sit still and watch the thoughts flow past me. Never mind the future, never mind what the past be. I like to jump and let the universe catch me. Three, four, watch the beauty blow past me. I keep my pockets like destination in sight. Keep my actions elevated to compassionate heights. I'm walking past the fight, laying down arms like the night. Choosing love when I pick up this mic.